the incomparable. Number 537, October 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is about a, I would say, one of the most delightful surprises. There have been a lot of surprises in 2020, folks. Few of them delightful, but this was delightful. It's Ted Lasso, the TV series on Apple TV Plus, starring Jason Sudeikis. It is delightful, and I know you're thinking to yourself, Apple TV Plus, maybe uh, you don't get it, maybe you don't care, or you're thinking uh, it's a comedy with uh, Jason Sudeikis, maybe you don't care about that. You may have heard that it's about sports, and you don't care about sports. We're going to get into it here. We'll, we'll try not to spoil at the beginning, but I'm just going to preface this by saying, trust us, trust us, you want to watch Ted Lasso. It's great. Let me introduce the panel that I put together, this ragtag group of uh, podcasters, soccer players, podcasters, uh, who have been assembled here to fight us off from relegation. Dan Morin joins me. Hello, Dan. Uh, We cannot fight that many ghosts, Jason. Glenn Fleischman also here. Hello. Fleischman, Fleischman, Glenn, Fleischman, 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 Glenn, Glenn, Fleischman, Fleischman. Somebody reboot Glenn. (laughs) Kelly Gamont. Hello. I'm Jason Snell, and I get paid to record podcasts, and I'm angry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not true. Aline Sims, hello. Jamie Tart. (laughs) James Thompson is here. Uh, I've got to go panda. Uh, James is going to help us with intricacies of British football. I have such encyclopedic knowledge about football. And when James uh, fails us, then we'll also turn to Mike Hurley, who also knows everything there is to know about uh, English football. Hi, Mike. I'm here to be curious, not judgmental, Jason. <laughs> Thank you. I also considered going full on, all right, mate, Londoner for you. So I might, I might like pepper some of that in there when needed. Okay, so let's start with explaining where Ted Lasso came from, because I, I, need, I feel like I need to do this. Everybody... Uh, talks about it being based on a commercial. Just to be clear, it is uh, based on and credited as coming from a series of promos for NBC Sports coverage of the Premier League. So not quite a commercial, more like a, a, a cheeky marketing campaign to remind people that NBC had gotten the rights. Uh, and also, uh, this is the bigger point that I want to make here. Jason Sudeikis... And um, Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard, had been working up this character for like a decade before and had been doing this character, I believe, even on stage. But it it, it dates back to when I believe Brendan Hunt lived in Europe briefly and didn't realize he didn't know anything about soccer. And, you know, he and Jason Sudeikis came up with this, uh, this idea of a character who is an American football coach who doesn't understand soccer. And they, they kind of spooled it out from there. And then when this opportunity at NBC came up to do the promo, they're like, oh, we've got a, we've got a bit we could do for that. So it actually sort of makes me sad where it's like based on characters and situations from an ad for NBC sports comes up in the credits. Cause I, you know, they, they took the money from NBC to do that bit, but it's too bad kind of, because this is, this is a more, a much more original idea than that. So I just want to get that out of the way. Um, and again, I want to start this uh, by talking about it in general without about, you know, a lot of detail about what happens just so we can convince people out there who have not yet watched Ted Lasso, why, they need to watch it before we fire off the spoiler horn. Um, so I want to ask all of you, what is it about this show? Like, let's start there because a lot of the a lot of the talk about this show is I'm surprised. I didn't realize I would like it. It's I'm surprised how good it is. And the other conversation I see a lot is it's exactly what the world needs right now in some way. So what is it? What is the appeal of this unlikely show that has made it uh, so celebrated by uh, by so many people? I think that part of it is that there's a dearth of shows on television that have, frankly, heart, um, which is to say a show that can be sharply funny, but has characters that you like, that you root for, that kind of makes you happy, right? Like a lot of a lot of 
um, there was a long period, I think, in sitcoms where a lot of it was about characters cutting each other down and like being really sarcastic. And while there may be a place for that, I think if you do too much of it, it gets kind of wearing on the soul. And so, I mean, the closest analogy for me of something I think of is, is Parks and Rec, which I think also had a similar, managed to straddle a similar line. Obviously, this has the the difference of being, I think, in some places a little more adult, at least as far as the language is concerned. But I think it managed to capture that same ethos of a band full of kind of misfits, but all of whom are at heart good people, even if they sometimes manifest a facade of being, uh, you know, uh, frustrated or angry or like weirdly simple in some ways. But you like them. And I think that's the big thing is like there's just a big shortage of stuff where it's like, I just really like these people and I'm rooting for them. I, mean, I would say like I don't like football. Or what? sport in Why, general. What? What? I didn't really like Scrubs. Oh, yeah. So we should mention Bill Lawrence, who did Scrubs, and Cougar Town is the executive producer of this. So he's the guy that uh, Jason Sudeikis basically kind of brought in to help them make it a show and run it as a show. But James doesn't care because he doesn't like uh, soccer or Scrubs. So And I didn't particularly like Saturday Night Live. I don't get Saturday Night Live at all. Um, I vaguely remember watching We Are The Millers. Don't remember much about it. And I would say this is my favorite TV show of 2020 by a long distance. Dan brought up Parks and Rec. And I think one of the differences, I love Parks and Rec. It's one of my favorite shows. One thing that really sets Ted Lasso apart is, you know, Parks and Rec kind of has some of that Saturday Night Live sensibility, you know, obviously, uh, where it's got kind of goofy goofy, unlikable characters, whereas Ted Lasso, everybody is likable. Even when you're watching the first couple of episodes and there's like this, there's a villainous plot, you know, because you got to have some kind of plot hook. Um, by the end of it, it's like everybody is likable for different reasons. There's none of that like goofy, villainous, mustache twirling behavior that we get in a lot of shows that are supposed to be, you know, you need conflict and that's interesting. That's not really at its heart where the conflict on the show comes from. And I like that so very much. It's so refreshing in the year 2020 to have a show that makes me feel like people are good and that there's hope. And I think that's a lot of it is maybe if this had come along a year earlier, somehow, if it had been one of the launch shows for Apple TV plus, it would have just kind of zoomed on by. It still would have been good, but I don't know that it would have resonated as much for as many people, but I watched two episodes because all of you people were like, this is amazing. It's so good. It has so much heart, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to at least give it a chance. So I watched two episodes and then I was like, no, I can't watch anymore. I think it was, I think there were six or seven out at that point. I was like, I've got to wait for Justin to get off work so that we can watch this together. And so I made Ted Lasso a bonding activity for my <laughs> husband and me because I just, I so desperately needed something that didn't feel bad all the time. And that's what this did for me. Can I build on that that I think this is a show without cynicism? There are cynical people in it. But uh, the titular character is, um, I think he actually is very much like my high school principal, as I think about it, who was a real rah-rah guy, um, you know, wore, our colors were purple and white, so he wore purple and white every day, had purple cowboy boots, he, you know, rah-rah, but, uh, and the, our sports teams did well, but he emphasized everything in the school, and his tone was so like Ted's, he had all these phrases and sayings he said, but he never tore anybody down. He never doubted in anybody. He rescued lots of kids by giving them chances and working with them. He was, you know, and so I have kind of a, I mean, he wasn't quite a Ted Lasso, but a Lasso-ish figure. And he just, there was no cynicism in the guy. And I realized that's the thing that 2020 is about. There's so much cynicism and lying and, and they present a central character who is surrounded by other people who, um, also are not, I mean, Coach Beard is maybe a little cynical, but he's not that cynical by any standard. Uh, and he doesn't, doesn't lie. If he tells a lie, he feels terrible and mm -hmm. has to, has to recompense for it. But my big thing here is this for me is like a triptych of shows. Um, my name is Earl. 
The Good Place and Ted Lasso uh, are my three favorite shows of the last. I can't even remember how long. And, and My Name is Earl first season. I kind of lost interest in the second. And part of it, I think, is uh, it's morality in a hilarious way, but the characters grow. So in a, in a substantive way where most sitcoms, either they're terrible people and they stay terrible and that's part of the joke, or they they if you're really lucky, there's character growth and movement, but it's not necessarily positive or it's not a... I don't know. In this, we already see in 10 episodes, they've achieved you know, 10 episodes that are like half an hour each. I'm like, the worst thing about Ted Lasso is there's only 10 episodes. That's what my family does. <laughs> so I far. think to jump on that, um, a thing that Glenn just mentioned briefly is a thing that I have noticed helped a lot of people sort of get into the show, which is it's half an hour. Mm. Uh, you know, if you want to make a commitment to three episodes, I feel like it takes the end of episode three to really get a feel for it, what it's about, where you're headed. Um, if you, that commitment is an hour and a half. So that's a thing that I think uh, gets overlooked sometimes because I know a few people that were like, yeah, I can sit down for half an hour. I don't know if I want to, if I have an hour at a time to commit to, right. you know, something on spec. So half an hour, I can do that. And so I know um, more than one person I have told, well, you know, it's like a half hour show, right? So you're not making a 10 hour commitment. You know, you're making a five hour commitment. And that sort of helped a few, that sort of helped me anyway, rope a few people in. And the thing I like about it is, you know, we were talking about it having a lot of heart, but I think the other thing it has a lot of is kindness. And that's a thing that is also sorely missing on TV. And, you know, and, and the thing about Ted is that like, he's relentlessly positive, but there's not, it, it, it's not like that's what gets him through, right? He still has trials and tribulations yeah. and there's stuff that happens to him. And he's not always in the best situation and it is not always, I'm just going to stand here and be optimistic long enough and everything's going to get better. Like that's not what's happening. And I think that was like when you watch like some of the trailers and stuff, that's sort of the setup that you get is like, this guy is just so positive that his positivity overcomes everything. And that's absolutely not the case. And it's very interesting to watch him sort of be at odds with the world in that way, but then also watch him come through some of those situations in really interesting ways that I'm not going to talk about until we hit the spoiler horn. I wanted to build on something that Aline was saying um, about like the villain character, because obviously every show requires some kind of setup and, and the conceit of Ted Lasso, just from the very basics, is that he has been brought in to this club so that the club will fail it's it's literally the plot of the movie major league yeah where the owner <laughs> has decided that the the owner wants the uh the the team to fail and makes bad decisions so that the team fails but the thing about the the quote-unquote villain rebecca is you actually cannot fault her reasoning mm-hmm. So I think it's very rare for a TV show to show humanity even in the villain. So like you see her doing all the things that she's doing, but you're immediately shown in lots of instances, like with a one-two punch, why she's doing the things that she's doing. And so it's not even about like, oh, she must be conflicted. Like you see it, they show you it. And, And I think that that's one of my very favorite things about this show is the humanity that flows through all of it and that even the people that are supposed to be the worst people you can still kind of see Mm. why they're doing the things they're doing that's why the show that this reminds me of the most is actually sex education on Mm. netflix and i say that because that's a show with empathy for every single character there are villains and you realize why they're bad and why they're doing these things and that they're basically in pain and don't know what to do. And the, it, also the shows share a, an actress because uh, Hannah Waddingham is in oh. Sex Education and she's in this. She's the owner. But the empathy there that, I mean, there is a, kind of a villain. It's it's Tony Head as her ex-husband who comes on mm-hmm. and is super slimy and great uh, <laughs> as, as we go along and we realize just why she's trying to stick it to him but mm-hmm. uh but even there even there, every time there are so many characters in this show who are types and i think this is some of the beauty of 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 this it's easy to read the promos and say okay ted lasso's the butt of jokes there are a whole bunch of type you know types of characters it's the usual sports types we know how this is gonna go and the beauty of it is they apply reason and empathy to every character and they're they end up not being types in fact they end up going against the cliche you expect from them 
every step of the way, and that's part of the magic of it, I think. I'd also point out that there's the, um, the what, I don't know if everyone calls this, this is the ick moment in sitcoms, you know, the sort of 22-minute, 30-minute structure that you have to come up with something contrived that is then the thing that everyone's trying to hide and lie about for the rest of the episode, and that's a sitcom plot, right, for lazy sitcoms, and there's a lot like it. And, you know, Frasier, I thought, achieved the top of the art form by doing it sometimes within, like, a minute. You'd be, like, cold open, uh, uh, credits, and then they'd have it set up, and the next 20 minutes would be spent, you know, pulling this apart. This show doesn't have an ick sitcom hinge moment. It keeps, it comes up to, you know, something is the crux, and I kept, not expecting it, but I said, you know, you're used to the tropes. You're like, it's going to go this way, and then, of course, it doesn't, because they're smart writers. Same thing as in The Good Place, where you keep expecting it to turn one way because you've been conditioned to it, and they're going to break your conditioning by doing it. And in fact, I would say without a spoiler, like one of the key moments across this 10 episode arc, when it occurs, it's like, okay. And I was like, oh, oh, I love this so much that that's how they resolved it, that it doesn't become a story arc, doesn't become this thing, which it was so shocking, even though I should have already expected it from the show. They still had me along with that. Because the, the characters are so much of what drive the show and the yeah. characters behave consistently with themselves, right? The oh, way that yeah. they approach situations and react mm -hmm. to situations is totally in keeping with who we have understood these characters to be after the time we spent with them. So, you know, to the point, to Glenn's point, you know, a, a late on revelation in the show uh, is handled by our main character in, in basically exactly the <laughs> yes, way you would expect yes. that character to handle that reaction because this is a show that is very true to its characters and understands that... It's not the plot that drives this show, right? There is a premise, as we discussed, setting up why Ted Lasso is here and what his, you know, purpose is, both from his own purpose as well as, you know, why he's been hired. But that's not really what drives the entire show. What drives it is the interactions between the characters. One of the things I think interesting, there's not much football in the show about football. <laughs> no, in that the, every time there's like some big match they do like a, just a hard cut and it's like, oh, yeah. and they won 4-1. They give you just enough that that you can understand what's important, yeah. but mm -hmm. don't bother wasting your time on what is actually not what the show's about. Yeah, the only time you're really on the pitch is where there's something like with dramatic impact. Is the last happening. episode is like yes. yeah. <laughs> most of it. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. actually surprising. It's like you spend more time in the media room than you do on the pitch or yeah. in training than you right. do on the pitch because what happens in the 90 minutes of the game is is mostly unimportant for character development in the show. That was the thing that I also liked about the show was that the point of it, like it's about a football club, but the point of the show is not the football. I would say I have an active dislike of football and in my <laughs> household, I am definitely the, the person who is somewhat fed up when the World Cup comes around and there's football games everywhere and there's like i will just say one of my favorite shows of all time is sports night and the tagline yes. for sports night was it's about sports the way charlie's angels was about law enforcement and i think that applies here as well <laughs> yeah yep. and i th i think that's actually for a lot of people a failure in promotion because for me when it when i saw oh it's it's an american coaching soccer and he knows nothing about soccer excuse me football um <laughs> he I, I was like i don't care about any of this i don't watch a lot of comedies because i don't like the ick i don't like the forced humor i don't watch any sports if i'm gonna watch a sport it's gonna be baseball um i did play soccer in like kindergarten through second grade so i have a very vague understanding of the rules <laughs> like very vague and so and so that's why it took kind of not peer pressure nobody was pressuring me to watch but just this like avalanche of praise from people I wouldn't expect for me to watch it. So I, I'm wondering about like, and granted, I also didn't seek out any marketing on it because I, it was comedy, soccer, done. I don't think Apple have really marketed this show very heavily. I, I don't think yeah. that they were expecting the success that it has had because they have done a much more consistent job with the marketing of their other shows, especially the initial ones. Uh, I almost guarantee at this point that Ted Lasso Series 2 will probably receive the most marketing of any show that they've done so far <laughs> when it's ready. Yeah. Because, you know, like, 
we I'm sure we'll mention this a million more times during this episode, but this is without a doubt the best like set of programming that Apple TV has produced yeah, so far. So. Like mm. it is without I think it's without a doubt. Probably in terms of uh, what they get for the money they've put into it. I mean, that all those shows sure. that are like <laughs> 50 million yeah. per actress or whatever they're doing. But I think as like a body of work, this is the most consistent and as a unit. the most surprising. And it mm. is the only show that they have produced so far that has been uh, spreading by word of mouth. None of their other programs are spread yep. by mo- word of mouth to the level that this has. Okay, let's take a break. Let me tell you about our sponsor for this episode. It's ExpressVPN. So there's this documentary on Netflix that people have been talking about called The Social Dilemma, which focuses on how people use social media and how the companies that control these services learn everything about us from the information we give them. In the documentary, Tech Insiders explain how social media is engineered to exploit your data for profit, and it's called Surveillance Capitalism. Hmm, not cool. When I go to a store, the transactions should start and end there. I don't want my data to be harvested. I want control over it. I want to decide when to share it, when not to share it, and when I allow people to make money with it. Um, Where do you draw the line? Well, ExpressVPN helps you draw the line. Every time you use the internet, tech companies are trying to track you and mine your data and add it to data about you. When you run ExpressVPN, your IP address changes, your location changes. This is the thing that websites use to personally identify you. It makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell. Uh, You do still need to be cautious with what you share on social media and when you're logged in and when you're not, but ExpressVPN can help make your presence on the internet more anonymous and secure. It encrypts 100% of your internet data. You will not be spied upon by others. Your data is in a secure tunnel. Uh, Many VPNs slow down your internet. ExpressVPN does not. It is fast and easy to use. One touch, one button press. I use the iPad app for ExpressVPN. I open the app, I tap it, and that's it. I'm done. I'm set. And that's great. And it feels great. If you don't like the idea of tech companies exploiting your personal information, if you want an additional layer of obscurity on the internet, go to expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name right now, and you can get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Snell, my last name, to protect your data and your information from prying eyes expressvpn.com slash snell to learn more and that's the ad now let's talk more about ted lasso one of the things that um i think makes ted lasso unique and i i like it because they did it this way is it is truly a british and american Mm -hmm. production in so the producers are american the we have we have those two lead characters who are american uh, Ted Lasso and Coach Beard, who who came up with the idea in the first place, but the writing staff includes both Americans and people from Britain, and it's shot in Britain, full of British actors, uh, presumably with a British crew, and so you it really is the same mixture as you see on TV, and mm-hmm. I love that, and this is I think. I mean, co-productions have happened before, but I do think there's something unique about being in the streaming era where you have these streaming services like Apple TV that are in lots of different countries that kind of break down some of the walls that used to be in TV production because you can just say, look, it's an Apple TV show. Like, we want it. We want it for America and the UK and everywhere else we are, so just make it. But I think it, I think Ted Lasso really benefits from the yeah, fact yeah. that is it is a show about both cultures clashing and it literally is made by people from both cultures. Because for people who don't know, the the actor who plays Roy Kent, who is the grumpy older soccer star who is aging, uh, is so a writer old. on the show. Yeah. So. And a stand-up comedian. He was cast as Roy after they had like written the episodes. And yeah. he put in an audition basically saying, <laughs> I would like to pay, play Roy. The closest I can think of, Jason, in that regard is the show Episodes, which ran for a while, which also was a British-American thing about Culture Clash, but is, you know, it's a very different type of show right. and it's not a streaming show. But yeah, there, I mean, I think that you're totally right that the the fact that it's a Culture Clash as well as that's reflected in how the show was made. And I agree, like, not knowing any of the the actors is often, aside from, like, Jason Sudeikis, basically, like is an often a benefit in these types of shows because you come to associate 
the actors with their characters so strongly. And it makes it, I think, in some ways more convincing. I think the only other actor I recognized aside from Tony Head was uh, the guy who plays Higgins because he was on Downton Abbey. Sprat! <laughs> yes, oh. he was Sprat oh. on Downton Abbey. And I was like, wait, why do I know yeah. who that guy is? Well, you've, yeah. seen, okay. you've seen Hannah Wanningham before, even if you haven't yes, seen... Game of, Game of Thrones. It, she was the shame too. lady yeah. in Game of Thrones, yeah. but she's also... Very different. She's also one of the lesbian moms in Sex Education. She's the mm. mean She's the mean one. <laughs> I recognize the, the uh, May at the pub is in an episode of Doctor Who. So Yeah, she was a Slovene. I wanted to cycle back to what you were saying, Jason, um, about the co-production. As someone who grew up in London, I've lived in London my entire life, and grew up in a very heavy football family, this show would not have worked for me if it didn't have such a strong British influence in the writing and the production, because I would have felt like I was looking at an uncanny valley the entire time. Where I can say, like, unequivocally, like, Ted Lasso does a fantastic job of what it is like to be in the UK and what it is like to deal with people in London. Um, it does a, like, the visuals of it are, so, are really good, but the way that a lot of the characters are, um, a way that even things like like that, like the phrase that, that comes up later on in the show, which is like, it's the hope that kills you. It's like, I've never heard anyone in the UK say that before, but it is definitely true of a lot of like <laughs> the mentalities in the country right like that it, there is a kind of bleakness that runs through a lot of especially uh england especially london and like just the overall tone of it the comedy as well uh, is really interesting because there there is a lot of times two types of comedy happening mm-hmm. in this show yeah. there is american slapstick uh, and 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 like and like this kind of like more longer out jokes, and it's also a lot of one-liners, a lot of sarcastic humor, like a lot of British humor is sewed through the entire show. So it's like another great melding of the two cultures. And I want to mention for people who are listening, we've talked a lot about empathy and and optimism and things like that. Just to be clear, it's really funny. <laughs> okay, it is a very funny. very yeah, yeah. very yeah. funny show. You Just can do clear. both and that's hard, right? Like mm-hmm. it yes. is hard to create a show where you have empathy and like characters and yet it is also relentlessly funny. Like laugh out loud funny every single episode multiple yep. times. Yeah, agreed. Yes. We watch it with subtitles on both for sometimes for the accents and the but also sometimes they swallow a little bit of the jokes and then we replay and watch the scenes again because they're yep. just so funny. We've done that with also where it's like, wait, that was funny. We know it was funny, but we have to run it back to catch exactly what was said. <laughs> because, Somebody just said yes. something in the background under their breath, right? I feel like that's a very British comedy thing as well, where it's like, you know, not every joke has like a hammer on it, right? Like sometimes <laughs> it's just slipped in on the background and you're like, wait a second, what? Like one of my favorite moments, I'm not like a big slapstick person, but one of my favorite moments is uh, when the water pressure's fixed. Yeah. And I yeah. will laugh at that. Yeah, that was really yeah. good. Every time. I will laugh subtle. at that no matter what. And I like and I'm not a person that like, oh, the dude fell over, that's funny. I'm like not that person and every time I see that I have to like pause for a minute and recover before I can continue. One last thing before the spoiler horn, the music. Oh yeah. yeah. Because yeah. the music in the show uh, all of it is fantastic. So the the soundtrack, like the the actual the pop songs that they bring in, are fantastic. The opening theme is superb, and so uh, and I absolutely love the scoring. Uh, the music in this show is all put together and scored by Marcus Mumford of the Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Oh. So the the title song is an original. It sounds like they've just picked a, Mar- uh, a Mumford and Sons song, but they haven't. It's an original. <laughs> and it came together because Jason Sudeikis and Marcus Mumford are good friends. Like they're at friends. There's a I will recommend to people the music video for Hopeless Wanderer, which Jason Sudeikis is in, which is one of my favorite music videos of all time. It's hilarious. But basically, uh, Sudeikis sent a text to Marcus Mumford and said, hey, I want you to score this TV for me. Uh, But it was sent to Marcus Mumford's American phone and he had his phone off because he was in the UK. (laughs) Months later, turned his phone on, found the text and said, if you still want me to do this, I'll do it. And he did it. And it's the first TV show he scored. (laughs) Um, So, you know, if you listen, once you know that and you listen to it, even the score, you can hear that it's made by Marcus Mumford if you know Mumford and Sons music. Um, but I just really love that, um, and I, you know, I am a huge fan of them. So I, I had a real affinity for the music, and plus the opening theme is 
sublime. It's such a great song. Every time I, I play an episode, the little skip intro button comes on and I yell at Apple TV to no stop. No way! Because <laughs> yeah, yes. also it's a beautiful graphic and, and it oh, actually, yeah. I think in those few seconds they actually do a nice little storytelling moment. Yeah. Um, but the music is is fantastic throughout, especially yeah. the... you got to read the uh, graffiti on the seats. I, have, the I was going to say, mm-hmm. I have paused and read the graffiti on the seats, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, here comes the spoiler horn and then we're going to talk about things a little bit more. So... Uh, here it comes. All right. One of the things that I wanted to bring up is Ted Lasso's divorce oh because of how, oh. how well the show handles that. And this goes back to the, the idea that everything you assume about these characters as a flat kind of cardboard uh, sitcom character um, is is undercut like the show refuses to treat them that way and they treat they're treated with empathy and they're treated as real people and ted lasso is a great example of that because it's so easy to the the head version we all had of our of this show based on its description you would imagine that he is a relentlessly positive happy-go-lucky guy who doesn't have a problem in the world and when bad things happen he just ignores them and we would all be joking about like well yeah but under the surface he's got to be a seething you know pile of anger because nobody's really like that and this show is like no he ha- he he gets sad and he gets mad. His we we've discovered that his marriage has basically fallen apart, and it leads to him ultimately signing the divorce papers. And it's handled in such a great way where we see his sadness, we see his upset, we see how he has to try to balance his optimism and his worldview with the with the hard things that happen to him. Which is like it's a lot more meaningful to be an optimist and try to see the good side when you have to fight for it because mm-hmm. things are hard and things are bad and that's what we get to see Ted go through and it also does lead to very funny moment, moments including perhaps the funniest moment for me in the entire show which is as he leaves and uh, and Coach Beard looks over at Nate the Great and Nate says is he okay? And Coach Beard's response is <laughs> oh absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. I think that's and I think you're point jason is well taken about all the characters in this show right i mean as we talked about before you know with discussing rebecca for example as as being sort of an antagonist but also being very relatable i throw jamie in there as well because jamie is clearly an antagonist in a large, large part of the show and he's someone who is you can see why he would be immediately unlikable but as the story unfolds and we see him in different contexts i think you you develop a lot of empathy for where he has been in his life and the 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 moment uh where he is you know finally comes around and is immediately then recalled to the team that he's on loan from yeah is kind of mm-hmm. devastating because you're like oh they finally like got on the same page and they that's were gonna funny. heal this relationship and then of course the the rug gets yanked right out from under you and and that's capped off beautifully in the final episode where Jamie has finally internalized the lesson that, that Ted was trying to teach him about being a team player mm-hmm. and of course uses it to beat his to old beat team them. Yeah. <laughs> and then gets berated by his dad right like who yeah. shows up and it's just it's heart-wrenching but it's also at the same time such a great way to take someone who could have easily been this two-dimensional villain mustache twirling jerk and turn him into someone who's like he's a complex individual. You know, for a show featuring such a com- such a magnificent mustache, there is very little mustache twirling. <laughs> I mean, in terms of Ted's story, I think the kind of like the high emotional point of the series was episode 7 where it goes takes you from Rebecca's singing Let It Go in the karaoke after mm-hmm. they've they've won the match and like it's this triumphant yeah. thing and then Ted has this massive panic attack Mm -hmm. because he's like been putting off signing the divorce papers through all of this and he like goes outside as an absolute wreck and then Rebecca comes out and basically comforts him and then he you know he goes back and he signs the divorce papers and that that's like about sort of I don't know like five ten minutes where I was just like glued to my chair for the whole of it well and it's it's the flip of the end of the benefit where or that moment at the benefit where you know she turns around and looks at him when they're outside and it's very clear that she is not okay and he gives her a hug and the look on her face as she realizes <laughs> like like you know you can see everything in her eyes because you can't even see her entire face and she's like he's hugging me and this is weird and it's weird because i really needed this hug yep. right now mm. and you see her sort of like 
like i think that's the moment that relationship sort of shifts for them yeah she's like i'm trying to ruin his life and he just wants to help me that same that same <laughs> sequence james is also uh to me contains one of the uh one of those very small but really really funny jokes which is as he's leaving you can see roy singing along to let it go yeah in oh yeah the <laughs> bar. Yep. and that like and that was and it's it's another one that kind of slides underneath everything because like you're watching Ted have this meltdown and you want him to, and I'm like, did did I just? <laughs> and, and obviously I paid a lot of attention to the karaoke bit, so of course I backed it up and went, is he singing? Al-? And he's totally singing along. It because makes of sense Phoebe. with yep. he's got his little niece. Yes, because yeah. uh, I I reeled Mr. Kelly into this much the same way that Aline reeled her husband into this, and and it was this, and he he even said, why would he know the words? And I said. Phoebe. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another character I wanted to mention, because look, there are so many good characters, big, uh, you know, characters, small characters. They're, they're all, they run the gamut, but they all have some definition. Um, uh, Keely Jones. Yes. I'm here played, for this. Played yes. by yes. Juno Temple. So she I is, a, she is, when I say that she's a type, she's a type, she's a wag, right? Wives and girlfriends of soccer players. This is a thing. And she is, the way she dresses and the way she talks, she is put down as a stereotype. And the show does it so that they can under, undercut the whole thing almost immediately because she's super smart. She's aware of the role that she is playing. Like she's playing a role in the show, but also she's playing a role in life and she's also realizing that she's been doing this a little too long and she she's had these boyfriends who are soccer players and sort of like it's kind of old it's she's kind of over it but uh she's uh, and she's with jamie and and then her progression is also although she does end up with roy her progression is not just from one man to another man her progression is also realizing that she needs to sort of take control of her life and be who she wants to be and and assert herself as a professional person and it's just it is stunning the trick that they play to set her up in the first scenes she's in as a stock character and then spend an entire season stripping away every single assumption you made about her. It's it's really masterful work. And and, and using your assumptions and the stereotypes against you, at least for me, I was like, this is so well done because I know that type and she is not that at all. And then as a viewer, you recognize it and you see her recognize it. It's just, it's so well done. Her whole arc is amazing. And then episode eight, I got really mad in episode eight. And that's when, uh, because I love this character. I agree with everything you said. And there's Roy confronts her after she admits that she slept with Jamie because he didn't, she didn't know what her relationship with Roy was. And she's also a free person. And it looks like the show's leaving it as she's apologized for having agency and disobeying him. And then, Oh my God, when they turn the whole thing around, that was so fantastic. We were cheering. My family was literally cheering going like, yes, that's the, you know, but they got me, you know, they got us all get my, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I wasn't the only dupe in the house. I'll try to confess it, but uh, that I thought, oh no, they figured out the wrong tone on this and, and no, they just got me. They, they understood it. I think the other character that I think has a similarly great arc is Nate. Yeah. Um, played by Nick Mohammed. Who, who starts out as like, he's just surprised that anyone knows his name. <laughs> He was surprised anyone asked. Yeah, and then yeah. the same, it's the same episode seven, which I think was the high point of the season where he has his sort of uh, motivational uh, speech for the various <laughs> players. Roast. And oh it just God. did not go the way I was expecting. Roast me, amigo. <laughs> my, my favorite Nate moment is w- the first time he comes to... Uh, to Ted and Coach Beard with his ideas and he's like going through his pockets and he's really yes. meek and Ted is like building him up and then they do the little dance at the end like oh, the, and just watching strut. his little shimmy at the end is it was so funny I have a friend who used to dance like that <laughs> <laughs> well I mean also his scene in the in the benefit where he's got his nice suit that they've gotten for him and he's acting really cool with the bartender and I know a, that's a brilliant piece of physical comedy that makes me laugh every time we orders yes. the martini and just oh, like does the blah, 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 like yeah. <laughs> and then someone else picks it up right yeah. and he <laughs> takes off with it and leaves and he's like yeah. wait 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 oh oh um uh, I I want to put in a word for how 
how um, journalism gets handled here. So yeah, Trent, I was just Trent say Krim Trent, from Trent the Independent. Independent, as somebody who does who does uh, uh, journalism and went to journalism school and all that, what I love about the Trent Krim stuff. So he he is asking brutal questions as the, a member of the English press would ask to someone like Ted Lasso, because there's a definitely in sports in the UK an aspect of like who can we cut down <laughs> like who is the best one to cut down today and he's super aggressive and rebecca in her mode of trying to ruin ted sets up an interview with trent Krim of the independent and you and he, so he's been set up as like oh my god he's gonna he he's out to get ted he's gonna destroy ted and she knows this so she sets it up and then something amazing happens this is episode mm-hmm. three something amazing happens which yeah. is Trent Krim obviously comes with his preconceptions about Ted Lasso, but he is also a keen observer. And even though he knows the story that he's thinking he's going to write, he observes Ted Lasso during the day. <laughs> and again, a lesser show would just have this guy uh, tell Ted what he wants to hear and then walk away and rip him in print. And I am so impressed with what Trent Krim from The Independent ends up writing because he yeah. ends up writing this yeah, story, yeah. which is like... Ted Lasso is a fantastic guy, and while he's hopeless and doomed, he is actually pretty great, and maybe we should listen to him and take him seriously. (laughs) And it's like, it's exactly, it's literally the only thing, if you're a decent journalist, you could come out of that day with him thinking, which is not, he's going to turn this around, but... Oh, our our uh, our assumptions about him are wrong, and the, and it's like in embedded in the show, which is all about how your assumptions about these people are wrong. Yeah. I thought it was really remarkable. He's not the villain. He he gets it. He immediately understands mm-hmm. the deal mm-hmm. with Ted, and also there's very spicy food. That's spicy food. I I think the moment where it feels like that shifts is uh, at the end of the school day when. Roy is still trying to be mad at Ted and goes, what even is a wrinkle in time, you know? And Trent swoops in with the capsule summary of the book, right? Yeah. In that moment, I feel like that's him sort of like doing Ted a solid. And and that's when you, you start to feel, and then you see Ted just being Ted, right? Like they go, you know, they go to the restaurant and he's like, I've never had Indian food before. You know, I don't know. But, but this is the, you know, the cab driver. I came driver. because you invited me. Yeah, this is the cab driver, right? Yeah. And yeah, I'm dad. here because you invited me. Of course I'm going to come here and, you know, make it like we're family and I'm going to tell you that it's, you know, and well, we have to eat it because we can't offend him, you know, and now here comes more food, which is, you know, of course the, the, the joke in that moment. But like, yeah, watching, like watching him just be, you know, industrial strength ted and like you know it turns out even i'm convinced his last name is crim the independent because that's mm-hmm. just how ted he, crim- he <laughs> never introduces himself any other way so mr crim the independent uh you know like ha- comes out of that moment and like doesn't have anywhere to go with it you know there's no way it's a hit piece because there's nothing ted is doing that is necessarily hittable you know in that way the, the arc of the whole season kind of is about Ted winning everybody over, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, I like if you want the, the audience stand in to a certain extent are the three guys in the pub. And as the season <laughs> progresses, oh my God, like they go guys. from just like, oh, this guy is a total wanker. Like, you know, and, and then on and on, like, even though they're very frustrated with the way the team is going, they develop like a rapport with him, right? Because he's at oh, the pub, Dad. he's drinking with them. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and then by the end, like they actually are kind of on his side. And it's a lovely little bit of these just three basically comic relief characters that we get every couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And they do a really nice job of sort of spinning out how he is slowly winning over this entire community. And like, you know, there are some big overt ways in which that happens. You know, we have the little thing with him bringing the biscuits to Rebecca every morning. Um, And then just overall, he is... Yeah, of course he's making them and trying to perfect the I recipe. I love her, her reaction, which we cannot broadcast in this podcast. Yeah. Her first yeah. bite so of good. that. Yeah, and all that and and when he makes him for Higgins at the end too, and he's like, "Well, yeah. I was going to give him to the daughter." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I only the only thing I called in the show was when he she he, she, he won't re- uh, admit where he got the biscuits from. I said, "Oh, he's baking them." And I, because it seems so like him to do it. It's the yeah, only yeah. detail I got. It's like, yep, he's making them. Cause he's just, um, I thought the episode, uh, in the bar with the darts was, uh, yep. amazing yeah. because I yeah. don't think I've ever heard it expressed that way. That thing about like, you know, the, the thing I found is that they aren't curious. Now, if, 
if you were curious, you might have asked. And I was like, oh, Ted, my God. Have you but played it, a lot of darts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's true of everything. Like everything about him is he has empathy, but he also has curiosity. What's your name? He gets to know uh, the driver of the cab, right? You know, mm-hmm. in all these little details. The, what's the girl, what's, the teenage girl that he runs into sometimes and plays yes. football with. Yeah. 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 Or just even the um, the thing about the water pressure. Somebody else, if you're totally big picture focused, you would have thrown that out, right? But he's like, no, no. This is one of the steps. Uh, it's actually a little subplot in um, uh, one of the Neil Stevenson books. Uh, what's the one with hero protagonist? I'm forgetting the name. Uh, Snow, uh, Crash. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. There's a little bit that I think Neil Stevenson got right and is exactly exemplified in this, which is that uh, well, the mob leader's like, no, no, you take care of the details because the details tell you the whole picture as much as a big picture does. And everything in Ted Lasso is him getting to know Nate, but also working with his top layer level players and also cultivating without any pretense or any cynicism or any um, agenda. Uh, He has this sort of almost gestalt way of existing in which what he does is the thing he does as he moves through life. And it works for him in general. But then we also get to see the antithesis that it doesn't work with him and his wife because she finds him. What what was the line in this show? It was something like, uh, well, in therapy, she said something about being relentlessly optimistic or something like that. And you're like, yeah, I can see that would be wearing, even if you are a kind of great Mm -hmm. and empathetic person also. You know, the darts scene is an interesting scene um, because, you know, we've been talking about like what this show, one of the things this show does so great is taking your expectations of what a sitcom will do and then turns it on its head. Now, I can imagine every Every single one of us knew that he was going to win that dance game, right? Like that was the obvious, like situ- set up to that situation. Because otherwise, why would it be happening? But they threw in this little part was super throwaway. I'm sure they'll get back to later on where he's like, "Oh, it just references that his dad died when he was a kid," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like that. It was like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that." Like heartbreak moment in the in the middle of this scene. Yeah. And I think like that's that's like another and and again like you know Jason, you mentioned it already, but. Like, I also wasn't expecting an absolutely gut-wrenching divorce story to appear in the middle of this 30-minute uh-huh. sitcom. Um, but, like, that that's something that this show does so well, is it, it, it does a great job of balancing human pain with human optimism. To your point, Mike, I think one of the things about that scene in terms of turning things on its head is also not only is he going to win it, he's mm-hmm. exceedingly competent at something. Yes. And we've seen yes. him mainly fail yes. at things before, sure. right? And so he's mm-hmm. really no, good at we, it. <laughs> we know he's good because he won that, you know, it was a lower league season or whatever, but he won American football. He really, you know, he captured people because of the dance. We know he can do things well. We don't get to see him do things in his environment. I think the key with the, the dart scene is in part, you, we know he's going to win, Mike, but I would say the sitcom way is that he is lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. The, the, instead, <laughs> it's the moment of you, were, you weren't curious, you never asked me, I played darts all the time. The message is don't us- underestimate Ted Lasso, right? That's the right. message there is you, you, you underestimate him at your peril. Yeah. Yeah, or it's like they could have done that thing, oh, like back home we have this game called whatever, right? And it's just <laughs> like this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's cornhole and they're basically <laughs> the same. I'm really good at lawn darts. <laughs> one of the things that I also liked about the show is the way that um, it lets men show emotion, yeah. which mm-hmm. is kind of a rarity. Um, yes. I mean, even even in the sort of comedic way when they brought in the Iron Giant and he says, you know, just make sure oh my God. A, you've got <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. 74 <laughs> minutes in. Oh. I mean, Jamie Tart is is a there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the locker yep. room. A big surprise, right? It's a sports locker room, of course. But you can see you start to peel away like what motivates these people and trying to overcome that. Roy is a great example where he has been the alpha a male. I, I talk about this a lot um, in other contexts, but it, it really does fit here, which is you got to understand that in sports, every person who's playing at, at a high level in professional sports has always, everywhere they've gone, been the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. They have always for their entire yeah. life been the best at sports or at their particular sport. And there comes a moment, whether you've reached a very high level or whether you're getting toward the end of your career, where you're not anymore and Roy Kent is at that mo- at that moment right now where he's not anymore. And when you're used to being the alpha male and you put all of your worth as a human being in being a tough man, and now you realize that it's kind of got you nowhere and you can't even rely on it anymore because you're at the end of your career, you end up in this perplexing situation. And, and so you see that in Roy, but you see with all, all of the other men, too, to certain degrees 
uh, the, how they have to deal with the expectations that are placed on men and how much they buy into it and or how much they don't buy into it. And that's one of the things that I think Keely is really great at interrogating in the men that she interacts with in this show because she challenges them in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and Ted Lasso is a great example of that, right? He's challenging them. So I, I, I do think somebody did a long Twitter thread about how they thought fundamentally Ted Lasso was about sort of like uh, deconstructing um, toxic masculinity. And I think mm. that probably takes it a little too far, but there's definitely an aspect of that in the show. And there's, there's pieces of it that we see here and there throughout the show and sort of, you know, being confronted with it in some ways. Right. So at the benefit, you know, um, Nate comes up and is just sort of hovering over Roy's shoulder and Roy is like, why is your face so close to mine? And then, <laughs> and then Nate says, well, I, you know, I, I was going to hug you, but, but I, I chickened out at the last minute and then does anyway. And you sort of see Roy, you know, almost the same thing as like Rebecca, like, okay, this isn't the worst thing, you know, like just in that brief moment, you know, but I'm not going to admit it to anybody. Right. And, you know, finding out like, and, and part of it too is finding out the other sides of people. Right. So, you know, when, when Keely is interrogating Roy about where they were, you know, like, where were you? You said you were busy, you know, but then like, I could never get a hold of you or whatever, you know? And he's like, uh, you know, I do yoga with a bunch of, you know, like, yeah. like old ladies who don't know who I am. And one of them yeah. was going through a divorce and we had wine yeah. and crepes or whatever, so you know, and it was, you know, and like, and he says it all very matter of factly. And like, he always comes off as kind of gruff anyway. Right. And so like that moment, you know, like we had a thing and it, you know, it went long or whatever it is. He says it was, you know, it was a great moment. And then like he has, you know, almost hot on the heels of that. He has the moment with the photographer where you know where things you know which which advances a whole other plot from like you know episode two or whatever and so like you know like watching him flip between those was interesting and i i like you know the idea like all the emotion because there is emotion from like everybody that we see like that's not just anger or not just you know um cockiness in some way the moment with the photographer i wanted to mention though that is that is the one that is the most sitcommy moment in the entire yeah. show is the setup of oh she he's touching her face or she's touching his face or whatever it is and they took a picture and they'll be in the tabloids and i they take it to interesting places but it is the one moment where i kind of rolled my eyes and said oh boy yeah. that here's this is just it's so sitcom setup plot mm-hmm. you know thing and and they fortunately they resolve it very quickly which is good because it it was my least favorite thing i think maybe in the whole show well and i thought it was resolved and then it comes back later that's the thing right for character right. reasons yeah. right i want to call it sam uh, abasanya is the character name uh tohib jimo is the actor i've never seen him in something before uh I love who him is so much sam yeah, yeah. He, I and when they introduce him. him when they start to feature him in the show as a character i thought oh i don't know what they're you know they feel like he's going to be the butt of a joke he's from i think nigeria right in there and uh and all this and then it just all that happens is he's a sweet kid and he becomes sweeter and sweeter until and i think his apotheosis i mean they throw a birthday party for him and you're like well this is going to be like no he's so overjoyed and is so great and then the bit with rebecca where he comes in and says Mm. would you come and she's like oh i can't do anything romantic i can't date somebody oh no no, no, I'm sorry. It's not romantic. Although I can understand you must be flooded with offers because yeah. you're such a, what a, no, I want you to become because you're part of the team. And I was like, what? Like, oh, like it was extra. Mm-hmm. My yeah. heart just yeah. ached. The, the scene where, where Ted gives him the army man has, is one of my oh favorite Thank you. But yeah. you can understand why I might have mixed feelings about the U.S. military. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. The interaction oh, was so beautiful so and non-defensive good. and so sweet heartfelt. and the kind of engagement yeah. you'd like to see between those ideas. I think oh, it's important great. between Sam and also, uh, Danny Rojas, who comes in yes. later on, Danny football Rojas. is life. Football is life. Oh, Roast, Roast me, amigo. <laughs> so good. It, it, one of the, those characters are fun, and they also, I think, do a good job of portraying what a, a high-level soccer locker room is like, which is that there's people from all over the world who come to play yeah. professional yeah. soccer in England, and how do you manage that? But it also says something about how, and I think this is an undercurrent that the show that the show has just sort of laid out there, which is Ted Lasso was a successful college football coach the young players he just works on them right like yeah, his challenge yeah. is not with getting young uh, up and coming people to buy into his system that's not the challenge it works on him <laughs> his challenge is with everybody else right because you and that's a that's a long time thing in real life about college coaches going to a professional environment that like does the rah rah stuff work and the the you know the secret is ted lasso is a a five dimensional 
motivational genius <laughs> who will find his way into your heart. But uh, for Sam and Danny, those are good examples of people who like he just they get him. He gets them. But even, it's even the ones that, that don't like Isaac is the other one I'm thinking of who at the end of the season gets promoted to captain by yeah, Roy. And, oh, so and it's the guy who's like kind of the bully, right? Like he's like works with Jamie and stuff like that. And he's like teasing Nate and stuff. And then, you know, even by the end. Even he has sort of come around on this. I do right. love the bit where he throws his shoe at the TV. <laughs> no, I think he throws a chair, doesn't he? Oh, this is it's chair? the chair. Yeah. Yeah. It's the chair. Yeah. Stop yeah. breaking yeah. TVs. And Oops, <laughs> in it. On 12. One of the things that, uh, again, like with the show working against uh, your expectations is I was kind of convinced that this was going to turn into a Ted-Rebecca romance, mm. and it doesn't. I'm not ruling out it for the next season, but it's just kind of like they're actually just there right. for each other and supportive by the end of the thing. Oh, and also the fact that they actually get relegated. Yeah. 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 Right? Like, Consequence. <laughs> like, and they did it. They even took it to the point where, like, oh, the impossible odds of Crystal Palace going 6-0 down, that happened. Oh, hooray, all we have to do is draw. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Really good. I, I imagine I was thinking on my list for season two would be Ted um, Ted meeting someone who is not a character we've seen before yeah and yeah, date yeah. and date them in season two and that that yeah. has to be part of it also I I have to admire not only is that a great moment at the end of season one and I've seen Friday Night Lights is one of my favorite shows of all time and it's had to deal with the it had to deal with the same thing right which is do they win or not because there are interesting stories to spin out of both but and yeah. the audience wants to see them win but more interesting stories come out of them not winning right <laughs> yeah and so Ted Lasso, you can see the arc here, which is they're going to go down. They're going to have to struggle with being down in the lower uh, in the lower Champ- league championship. in the championship. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, yes, because it is. Better. And well, okay. The, sidebar. Yes, not only is it funny that they point out that the league below the Premier League is the championship. Uh, I I turned to Lauren at that point and said, "You know what's below that? League number one. League one is below that. <laughs> league one is why? Yeah. Uh, it's why I don't know England. So." Uh, but you you end up with this thing where you can see what their struggle is going to be, but also they're going to kind of be favorites because they're coming down from the Premier League and trying to go yeah, back up. And that's the great thing is like season two, if they would have ended up staying up, they would have been the bottom of the Premiership. Right. And the team at the bottom of the Premiership is not going to win the league the next season right. round. Right. right. It's just not going to happen. But they can win the league if they're in the championship. Exactly. Because they will automatically be one of the best teams in the championship. And then theoretically, a third season, they could return to the premiership and have to yep. deal with their success. Right. Like, it's yep. such a great, as sad as it is at the end of season yes. one. It's such a great move that opens up so much possibility for future seasons of the show that, you know, I love the bittersweetness of it. But they transcended the moment, though, because what they did is when they lost, they also, right, I mean, this is the Ted Lasso thing. When they lost, they actually won. He is totally pumped. Yep. Rebecca is on his side. He he got through to Jamie. Jamie so mad at him playing mind games, but got the note, that note delivery. Mm-hmm. They, they are, I mean... As human beings, I feel like within the structure of the show, Ted Lasso is like, well, this is fine. Like Rebecca, she wanted us to lose and then she changed her mind. But we did. Now we've got challenges. But nobody nobody ended this in in this show, inside the show. I think even in the structure of the show, it was actually not that terrible given where they were. They got promoted to a higher level as people. He tries to resign as well. Yeah, he goes in, like, wrote it on a On the Indian take-up. Callback, excellent callback. I I think that moment for for me is interesting, not just because uh, I took the loss very hard when they did not win, Mm. and when they did get the goal, I may have jumped up off the couch and thrown my hands (laughs) in the air and yelled, football is life. Awesome. but mostly it's that uh, like they they sort of go with it. And the thing that was funny to me was Jamie can like being 100 percent convinced that Ted was just messing with him. And like because that's sort of how people, I guess, have treated Jamie his whole life. So he just assumes that there's some sort of ulterior motive to this. And it's really not. And it's just Ted 100 yeah. percent Ted from the top down. And so like when that note, when he you know, when he gets that note, like I I was not a fan of Jamie and honestly was glad when he left because I felt like he had outlived his usefulness at that point as like a character, as a, as a plot device almost. Like I wasn't as interested in what he was up to because it was clear that, 
you know, he made like an inch of growth and decided that was fine. And that was all he mm-hmm. ever needed to do. And then he was like, I've grown, I win. Right. And so I was sort of glad to see him leave, but to, to see where he ended up at the end of the season, I'm hoping that maybe uh, we will get more from him. And I really did like how uh, Ted did go into resign. I loved how each of them thought that that the conversation they were going to have was a foregone conclusion because his foregone <laughs> conclusion was, of course, I'm out of here. And her foregone conclusion is, of course, you're here to talk about next season. And like watching them navigate that was was really also kind of a, a, a sweet moment between the two of them. I, I do think the handling of Jamie is very deft because I think, as you said, Kelly, it's tricky. He feels a little one note at the beginning, but they by setting him aside for several episodes and only having mm-hmm. him pop in occasionally, I think that's just the right amount to keep him in the show and reminding you of who this character is. Yeah. And especially that bit where he shows up Achilles with and like, <laughs> you know, you know, she's like, oh, do you want to, you know, go upstairs or whatever? And he's like, no, nah, I'm OK. He's like, wait a second. Is this what I was doing wrong all this time? You're, just, you're supposed to not want it. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, the scene where he shows up and Roy's there is just like 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 a you know, like chef's kiss moment with the three of them sitting around the table. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, and the tra- the coffee trap, like the coffee Ke- trap. Yep. Keely is so. I love Keely. I could do a podcast just on Keely, but like the whole like I made you coffee and I brought you coffee, and she's like, okay, and she just pours one into the other. <laughs> so yeah, it's, that was you just know, it, it was like, mm. yeah. How else are you going to navigate that situation? It was so good. <laughs> she's like two coffees. <laughs> she, yeah, she and Ted are so simpatico, right? Like, because I think they both have that similar like. There's a, there's a similar outlook there mm-hmm. in which they're always, you know, I think trying to be very positive. I mean, you, I love her relationship with Rebecca because uh, she just yeah. decides like, like we're going to be best friends and I'm going to compliment you all the time and I really like you, etc. Like and it's just it's it's kind of I think that's why she and Ted get along. And I think one of the worries I had going into the season was in that scene where they have the the paparazzi and whatever's like, oh no, are they setting up like yeah. Ted and Keely to be like a love interest thing? But they like yeah. hard swerve away from that, obviously. And I think it works great because they they do seem to get along so well and they have such an interesting like relationship uh, as friends that they are very very similar in the way that they approach life. And I think that's it's nice. Keely and Rebecca, I love how their relationship sort of starts, which is, you know, Keely walks in, flops down on the couch and goes, I've decided not to be afraid of you anymore. <laughs> and brings her a cactus. Yeah. I My just video. like that, like the moment when and then, you know, that moment between the two of them and the photo on the yacht and like that whole moment, I, just, you know, like we're all reassessing Keely sort of the same way Rebecca is when she leaves. There's a great bit across the season too. I think we talked about it a little bit though. It's, uh, it's women's, uh, sexual agency, which in most shows, especially ones around so- sports is something that's up for grabs, right. By other people. And here Keely's absolutely in control. That bit I thought was going to turn out differently. She reasserts her control and, and, uh, is, and is ag- not is acknowledged, you know, it's hers to give. Um, and, uh, Rebecca sleeps with the waiter, uh, sassy sleeps with Ted and, um, nobody is, we, I mean, we know there's some other stuff going on, right? And Jamie has relationships and whatever, uh, or even, I mean, even to bring up the case of Bex, the, uh, the Rebecca two there that the Anthony head character, uh, <laughs> new Rebecca connects with she, new Rebecca, new Rebecca. Although let me tell you my wife's best joke, Lynn's best joke. And we were waiting for it to show up in the show. They said, oh, her name is Bex. And Lynn immediately said, Bex it. And we were just like, oh. okay, that's going to be the headline. And then it, it wasn't there. Anyway, it didn't exactly oh. work. But And I, she's played by an actress called I, Keely. Called Keely, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, let's talk about Coach Beard. I want to I talk about the pub in general. We mentioned Annette Badland, who runs the pub. Um, and she's great. And she she's almost like a Greek chorus at a few points. And the three uh. fans. <laughs> we, we should mention Coach Beard um, is, is has his chess story that's going yeah. on in the background <laughs> which i think is amazing and then also in general coach beard is such a great character he's only ever referred to as coach beard you know he's he's ted's uh, trusty lieutenant but he's got his own show going on that we only see a little bit of during the course of the show yeah i really hope that we get mm, to know him a little bit better next season like i really love this theme of support that kind of is woven throughout the series and I think Ted and Coach Beard are like really, I mean, obviously at the core of that, but like 
he is such a stoic guy, but he goes along with Ted, like, you know, whatever, falling out of his chair. Again, that scene with uh, with Nate, Nate. and, um, you know, blown away by his confidence or whatever. And he just like comedically falls out of his chair. So I, I think that he could be a he's a really interesting character to get to know more. I understand why we don't. Um, and maybe he does work better as as just being the in the room guy. Maybe all he does is play chess and watch TV and think about soccer the rest of the time. I don't know, but um, I I do want him to be flushed out a little bit more. I mean, he do, he does challenge Ted though, like at he the says end. at oh, the end. Oh know, yeah, people do actually, you know. Success is win. important. Yeah. People want to see them win. It's 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 again. It's it's careful, right? Like you got to be really careful. I think that's a character where I agree, Aline, that like there's more to him, and it's interesting to see that. But you got to you got to be careful because too much, and I think you lose some of what makes that that character yeah. really work. It's a, it's a it's a balancing act. I think because he's one of the writers, he's kind of like he can like put exactly as much of coach beard in as he wants <laughs> yeah. kind of thing well and i i love that coach beard contains multitudes right like we find out <laughs> he has a friday night chess club as a casual mention and you know we find out he has a lady friend as a result of said chess club and uh you know what's the bit what is it ted says to him oh you put the game before the dame again <laughs> so like this has happened before so like all of these little casual mentions of these whole other worlds that Coach Plus Beard that, that final scene with him on the way out, blast. checkmate. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's toying with you. Yeah, she's toying. <laughs> uh, there's an Easter egg I wanted to bring up, and unless I got it wrong, so let's find out if Glenn was wrong. Uh, so in the first episode, he tune puts in these... to if Glenn was wrong. Well, it's a regular recurring feature on the Incomparable <laughs> Network, so let's try. Um, this is what I noticed, and I asked my family as solicited opinion. The believe sign is hung crooked, and then the team in the first episode, and they, yes. they, they're making uh -huh. fun of him, and they say, yeah, that's better, it's still crooked. Later in the season, it's perfectly straight, and I thought that was actually like a little bit of, did somebody, un like there's a story that we don't need to know about why it's straight. Did Ted fix it, or did he let it be crooked, because he knew someone on the team would eventually come around and fix it? I like the second interpretation better, but I'm not sure that there is an answer either way. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, did Keely uh, make it crooked when she was like... Yes. You know, telling him to move it up and down. Did she deliberately do that? Absolutely. No, she did. Yeah, for also, sure. He's got like 10 signs, we learned later, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He runs around his house. Yeah. There are several. Yeah. Perhaps the believe sign, a small one. This is a great show. I hope we've convinced you if you haven't seen it yet. Season I'm looking two. forward to whenever Season they two. can make more of them. Right. <laughs> whenever that Someday. is. Should we point out to people that if you have bought an Apple device, you can get an Apple TV for free, so you don't need to pay for it. There so are ways. A, if you've bought an Apple device recently or, or about to buy one, then you can, uh, you can get... if you bought one last year, that yeah. year is good through February. Yeah, yeah. so don't exactly. pay if you don't need to. So it's really you should good. check out. And I think they have a free trial, too, and all the episodes are there, yeah, so true. you could do that, yeah, too. My, my yeah, my parents got the free trial to try and watch Ted Lasso, and they're like, and we didn't, un you know, we didn't finish it in time, so yeah. now <laughs> they're they subscribed. You. Oh, they get you. Yep, it worked. But even if you don't, it's five bucks. Yeah. So and you don't need an Apple egregious. device. And you don't. Yeah. It's on It's on everything. So for Pete's sake, watch Ted Lasso. It's great. That's what we're saying. Now I'd like to thank my <laughs> panel for talking about how great Ted Lasso is with me. Aline Sims, thank you. Football is life. Football is life. Dan Morin. Uh, well, I guess next time we get the opposite. Is there opposite of relegation? Yeah, promotion. 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 All right. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Dan. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Jason, I'd like to tell you sincerely how much your leadership has meant to me becoming the person I am today. Uh, Mike Hurley, roast me, amigo. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. If we see each other in our dreams, let's goof around and pretend like we don't know each other. <laughs> <laughs> James Thompson, thank you. Uh, I'm just going to take a big drink from this bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly Gamon, thank you. It was Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. But heaven knows I tried.